Thanks, Joan. Yes, let me echo welcome. Also, great to have so many here uh, this morning for our service. First Inspire for the year. Do you find that, I find that uh, January is like you operate at 50% and then you hit February and it's just like full on, 100%. We're going for it. My ethnic students I teach on Saturdays, that's already started. I I think I preached about eight times uh, during January. I leave for New Zealand on Friday to teach students over there for a week or to preach twice. I have to preach, not have to, but invited to preach twice on Sunday at the Kaipaki Church. Bush dance next Friday night. I think I'll crash when I come back on the Saturday. And Inspire has started as well, but always, always good to be here. Before I have a look at the passage this morning, we are going to have a look at Matthew chapter 6. I know I did announce that I was looking at the names of God, but I need to do some more work on that series. So we'll continue with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I uh, follow some people on Facebook, and one of them's Chuck Swindoll, always interested to see what he has to say. There's another theologian that shares, I follow him as well. And occasionally somebody puts something up on Facebook that's just, you know, a little bit left of field, that's, that's very different. And somebody put up a couple of weeks ago this statement. I've just discovered that at the bottom of a toaster... There's a little tray. I never knew that that existed. And then following the responses of other people, I've just gone to see my toaster and my toaster has a little tray as well. When did they start putting little trays in toasters? I did laugh like you laugh. I did laugh. Oh, dear. Matthew chapter 6, continuing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, 18 verses, but let me read it to you. Jesus is speaking, of course, and he says these words, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I know it's a number of weeks ago, but if you can kind of think back to the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was talking about righteousness. Remember, righteousness, not only our right relationship with God, but God enables us through the indwelling of His Spirit to do right. So we're right with God, enabling us to do right also. The end of chapter 5, Jesus talks about righteousness starting from a negative situation and then leading into a positive. And one of the commentators that I read, he writes it this way, he calls them transforming initiatives, the end of Matthew chapter 5. So they're triads, statements where three things are said about one topic and Jesus makes the command to begin with, then he goes further and develops that command, but then he ends off with that topic with the positive how to turn a negative into a positive. I'll just briefly summarize these for you if we think back the end of Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus says, you shall not murder. Well, that's the command, right? That's the negative. But then Jesus goes further and says this. He says, even just wanting somebody to be dead is enough. Having such anger and rage within you that you want to express it by calling that person a fool is enough, more than enough. So there's the two negatives, see, and then here's the positive. Jesus says you break that vicious cycle by seeking reconciliation with another person. He talked about you shall not commit adultery. Even thinking about that is wrong. And so what do you need to do? Well, not literally pluck your eye out or cut your hand off, but remove anything that leads you into temptation, that gives you impure thoughts. Whoever divorces is to be given a certificate. So divorce is allowed if one person has been unfaithful, but the positive is try and seek reconciliation always. Seek reconciliation first. You shall not swear falsely, yet your yes be yes and your no be no. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The command there is not that if you steal my car, then I have the right to go and steal your car. No, that's, that's not how it operates. But whatever punishment is, de- is dealt with, has to, is dealt out with, then has to be equal to that, the crime that's been committed. You don't retaliate violently or or revengefully by evil means. In fact, Jesus turns that negative into a positive by saying this, turn the other cheek, give your tunic and cloak, go the second mile, give to the beggar and borrower. And then also you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. To hate your enemy is to act like a tax collector or a Gentile. And we are not to be like that. So if the end of Matthew was talking about righteousness from a negative perspective and then bringing it into the positive, chapter 6 is righteousness from the positive aspect, the positive aspect. And Jesus mentions three activities here. It's interesting that the chapter begins with uh, his word, beware, beware. That's a word that kind of 
you know, shocks us a little bit, doesn't it? He's saying that here, that we are not to do acts of righteousness just to be seen by others. The external actions are brought into contrast here with internal attitudes in, and actions which only God sees. And Jesus gives, you know, some examples of people who are doing that in his day. Those who love to be seen by others as they pray. Jesus says they're hypocrites. Those who disfigure their faces when they fast. Isn't that an interesting thing to describe? They disfigure their faces while they walk around with their jaws on the ground. I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. It's a funny thing course it's not the things that we do is it the giving the fasting the praying that is the central thing that Jesus is talking about but our inward attitudes and motivations in doing them not the activity itself but our attitude and I find here in this uh, these 18 verses of chapter 6 there's a neat division of three things giving is an example of our faith in our relationship toward others. Prayer is an example of our faith in our relationship to God. And fasting is an example of our, of our faith in relation to ourself. Each one is necessary. To do only one, perhaps, and neglect the others is not good for our spiritual growth. Jesus says that each one of these is important. Giving, praying, fasting. Sure, we're to take every opportunity to share Christ with others, the hope that is within us, but at the same time, the Christian life is a disciplined life. A disciplined life. Jesus says, beware, watch out. Look out. We may be practicing these three things. We may be giving out of abundance, sensitive to the needs of others, having more than what we need of ourselves. We may even have a reputation of being generous, sacrificially giving to the point perhaps when we're having to go without so that other, someone else can be blessed. Our prayer life may be healthy. May we get up every morning and go, thank you, Lord, I'm alive another day, another day. Praising him for the blessings, the answered prayers that we see during the day, making our requests be made known to him, bringing others to the Lord in prayer throughout the day, asking him to encourage and bless them and heal them. We may be denying ourselves, beating our body into submission. I say that to myself every time I do some exercise. Beat yourself, Neil. Beat yourself into submission. Going without, even when we're tempted to indulge in excess sometimes. And yet all of this, Jesus is saying, can have no value at all. Beware, beware. What's he saying? The secret of faith is faith in secret. If we do any of those things for attention-seeking, for self to be glorified, then the pure spring of being spiritual becomes impure. 
probably at the core of what Jesus is saying here is this. Do you want to be righteous, to live rightly, right, having entered into this right relationship with God? Do you want to live right or do you want a reputation? We can't have both. If it's reputation that we're pursuing, then we can all live as good Christians, can't we? Amongst others. Become known as a spiritual person, a humble person. That's quite easy to achieve when we're around others. We can easily be that person in the crowd. But what about when we're alone? Jesus says, in the end, it will do us no good. We'll end up not among the righteous, but with the reputable. I want you to think for a, uh, for a moment that you're in a room with people who are only concerned with a reputation. Life is all about them. All that they want to say to others is all about themselves. Narcissism comes to mind. If they're accused of anything, it's not my fault, not my fault, it's the system, it's the system. People are out to get me. They're out to destroy me. I've done no wrong. Who wants to live like that? So let's, let's have a look at these three things that Jesus talks about. The first one is giving, giving. Jesus assumes here, because he says in verse 2, he says, whenever you give, whenever you give. Not if, but whenever you give. Giving is to be part of the Christian life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So then having received Christ, how can we be mean or stingy, tight-fisted? You just can't. doesn't make any sense. The Old Testament set a benchmark, 10%. 10% was mandatory. 10% of grain, fruit, herds, flocks, garden plants and money was to be given. Anything above 10%, that was voluntary. But when we come into the New Testament, we don't read of a tithe. We read of 100%. Luke 14:33. None of you can be my disciples unless you give up all your possessions. Of course, that doesn't mean when the offering plate comes around, you know, we put everything in the offering plate. No, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, we are to give what we have decided in our heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Be a Christian, be generous. I read this story of an offering plate being passed around in a church in New York 
and inscribed on the side of the offering plate for every person to read as they took the offering plate were these words. Despite all we say and do, this is what we really think of you. <laughs> I don't know if many churches would want to put that on their offering plates. Uh, so that's giving. What about prayer? Verses 5 to 15. Again, right, Jesus is saying, not, not if you pray, but when you pray. When you pray. When I was at the Bible school, students would come to me sometimes and say, Neil, Neil, could you help me? My spiritual life is dry. I don't have any love for God. And here I am in a Bible school. And my question will always be, and how's your prayer life? Oh, well, I haven't prayed very much recently. Are you reading the Bible daily? No, I'm not. Well, there you go. Right? It's not hard, is it? It's not hard. Get back into the Word. Get praying again. We are to pray in secret, Jesus says, when no one else sees. We are to pray naturally, just as the words come from you. We are to pray faith-filled, believing that God will answer our prayers according to his will and in his time. And then fasting. Again, Jesus says, not if you fast, but when you fast. It does us good to go without food sometimes. And to use that time in prayer, by the way, it humbles us. David wrote in Psalm 35, verse 13, I humbled myself with fasting. In fact, when it came to the children of Israel, sometimes God would specifically withhold food from them to humble them. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Moses wrote, He humbled you, causing you to hunger. The Israelites were never to forget this. He says, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Hosea, writing centuries later, chapter 13, verse 6, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and then they forgot me, says the Lord. Go with our food. Spend some time in prayer. Of course, the Israelites, they used fasting as some kind of pleading to God of their innocence. Isaiah 58, verse 3, they cried out to God, Why, God, we have fasted and you haven't seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Trying to think to themselves that they twisted God's arm by fasting, then their prayers would be answered. No, it doesn't work that way. What about the rewards, God says, or Jesus says here? What about the rewards that are for us? Rewards are of two, two kinds. One is good and one is bad. One has an association that belongs to the work you do for it, and the other doesn't. Take money, for example. If you were to say to the person that uh, 
marries because of money instead of love, you'd say, well, that's not the reason why you get married. Just because of somebody else's money. No, marriage is the full expression of love towards another person. It's the fulfillment of that love that you have for that other person. And that's the right reward, the proper reward, because it is the thing, love, in its fulfillment. If a general goes into an army and he wants victory in battle so that he can come back and display his medals across his chest and parade in front of everybody else, well, of course, we'd say that's not the right reward, is it? You don't go into war because of that. You go in to defeat the enemy. That's the right motive. And that victory in war is the consummation of the battle. True rewards are not pleasures offered to us as some kind of compensation for the pain and frustration we've had to endure. Like a naughty child that's given some kind of ice cream or chocolate just to keep them quiet. No, instead, the final enjoyment of the thing of which we have, for that which we have been striving, that is the reward in itself. So think about work and getting a promotion at work. It's because your boss has recognised that you are working hard and you are doing well. And so your boss says, I am going to promote you. So I'm going to promote you into another place. And this is work at a higher level that will bring you even greater satisfaction. Think about applause. We see something. Some music, some great music presented before us or some theatre or something. What do we do? We applaud at the end because it has brought us pleasure and so then we want to respond and say, I have been so pleased with what you have done for me that I want to express this back to you also. In the same way, faith in Christ, God rewards It's a recognition of his approval toward us. We participate in giving and praying and fasting because we know that it pleases God. We want to enjoy his good pleasure. We do these things because of our love to him. We know that he approves of us in wanting to please him. And his approval is the reward. Faith in Christ, as we all know, is a relationship with the creator, the great creator, that we can enjoy an intimate, personal relationship with. And so, wanting to please him becomes our motivation our service to our neighbour, our giving of our money, our prayer and our fasting are all expressions of our desire, of our love toward God and wanting to see his kingdom grow here on earth by the power of his Holy Spirit within us. We find that he works in us and through us and there is great reward and great enjoyment as well.
So Jesus says of these things, he says, give and pray and fast. But he also has this qualifier that he puts to them and says this, do it in secret. Do it when no one else is looking. For my eyes only, God would say. The moment that we do them to be recognized by others or even to make ourselves feel good, then the motivation is corrupted. It's true, isn't it, that each of us would want to hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. And it's not wrong to want us to have those words said to us at the end of our life. In fact, I think it's the right thing to think. But the moment I will come, depart from this earth, that God will say, Neil, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus says here, the promise is that we will enter into his joy. We will enter into his joy because we have been faithful and obedient to what he has asked of us. That's what we have set our heart on. That's what has brought us great satisfaction. And Jesus says that there is a reward being kept for you in heaven. I know John Sweepin spoke about that recently. I watched a service online. But it's not pie in the sky. When you and I die, we don't go to heaven just to eat pies all the time. No, we go there to enter into the joy of God and to remain in his joy forever. Can you imagine what that is really like? The word here that Jesus uses for heaven can be described as in the realm of your fellowship with God. So this isn't something, our reward is not only after we pass away, but also the reward is right now. In, our, in the realm of our fellowship with God, we can be blessedly happy here. We can know and experience the overflowing of his joy within us. I'm sure it happens to you in many days. I'm just going around the normal routine things of life and I say to God, God, I don't know why I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Even in the midst of misunderstandings, criticism, pain, suffering, even persecution, we can still know the joy of the Lord in our life. And God wants us to know that. To drink deeply from the fountain of his overflowing joy. He wants us to enjoy it. Because he knows what it will do for us and what it will bring for him. By far the majority of people in the world today are pursuing significance, meaning, purpose in their life. There's a hunger for some fullness because of the emptiness that is within. And of course the majority are looking either towards themselves or towards something in the world that will bring them some satisfaction, even if it is only just for a short time. But scripture says that emptiness can only be filled in Christ, in Christ. He not only fills us, he overflows. 
our deepest desires within. And so we come to Jesus. Thirst for God, hunger for righteousness. We find that in our fellowship with him, we are more than satisfied. Together with Christ, empowered by his spirit within, we want to live a life that's pleasing to him. We find that as he works in us and through us, all success and glory is left with him because he is the one who did it in us and through us to begin with. I think I'm going to preach on these two verses on Sunday in New Zealand because they're two of my favourite verses in Scripture. Now to him, for this is Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The secret of faith is faith in secret. Let's pray. Lord, some of our greatest moments with you have been those moments in secret with you. Just alone in a room, praying to you, listening to you, sensing the impulse of your spirit within speaking to it into our minds no one else there no one else witnessing no one else seeing anything but our faith growing in you so lord i pray there might be a need for us in this coming week just to take time aside with your word to sit, meditate, and for our hearts to be filled with your love and with your joy. And then to step out into the world, knowing that others will be blessed through the overflow of your spirit at work within us. May it be so, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.